Well, here we are. Uh, it's fall, right? Finally, it's fall. The kids are back in school, and uh, I know it's not technically fall yet. I don't care if there's been an equinox or not. Okay, if the kids are back in school, it's fall. And fall is my favorite time of year, and it's one of my favorite times of year. There's so many great things that you can do in fall that you can't do any other, any other time. You can start having bonfires, and you don't have to wait until 10 o'clock for the lights to go out. You know, you can go back into the woods, and the flies aren't biting you or attacking you. Football is being played. We're off to a good start. It's a good, good day to be a Wisconsin you know, Packer fan, Wisconsin fan, and all of that. So we're off to... Anybody else, do you have anything that you like about fall? Is fall any of your favorite favorite spots? Okay. Leaves? Yeah, the change in color of the leaves. I was asked this question up in Kiwaska last week, and some girl way in the back, she says, she says, it's the time when we slaughter the pigs. And I'm like, only in Kiwaska. Yes, you know, it's like... And everybody who loves bacon said, Amen. Amen. That's right. But there's, there's something else that happens every fall, and it is a noticeable, discernible phenomenon. Uh, you can measure it. You can quantify it. It's that uh, people tend to go back to places of worship on Sunday morning. Okay? And so they, they, they start attending, you know, uh, here at facilities like this. And so because uh, people start doing that, we uh, decided to kick off this new series. If you were to ask one of those people, what, what are you doing this fall that you didn't do over the summer because you were on vacation and the kids wanted to go swimming and all that stuff and go water skiing, they, it would maybe say something like, we're going back to church, right? And so we entitled this whole series as we're debunking you know, some of the heresies about the movement of Jesus Christ in, in America is don't go to church, okay? Because you don't go to church, you are the church. Very good. You guys were listening last week. You guys were listening last week. So, yeah, in fact, last week, um, uh, one of my sons came into my uh, bedroom late Saturday night and says, Dad, Dad, something's wrong. I, I think somebody, like, hacked into the church website because it, you go on the church website and it says, Don't go to church. And I'm like, Okay, all right. Let me explain something to you. This is, that's the title of our new series. We're trying to debunking, debunk some of the myths about the movement of Jesus Christ. And so we clicked on it, and this is what we read. Don't go to church. What we say shows what we believe. What we believe dictates how we live. Language matters because language shapes the lives we lead as well as the organizations that we are a part of. Join us for Don't Go to Church, pun intended, as we seek to correctly define four key truths to being the people of God that God has created us to be. And so last week we talked about the fact that we don't go to church. We are the church. This week we want to kind of debunk another <clears throat> heresy. Uh, about the Church of Jesus Christ, and that, that is that there's this kind of like this two-tiered system uh, in uh, the the membership of the universal body of Jesus Christ. Is that there's uh, there's kind of like this this hierarchy, there's pecking order. There, there's every every ordinary day people, okay, that that just rank and file, normal people, and then there are these uh, like green beret Christians that really take this stuff seriously. All right. Listen, they do things like go overseas and start churches and do relief and development work and stuff like that. And those people we call missionaries, right? And again, like Troy said last week, it's really hard to, to hide kind of the, the kind of the punchline of, of the message today. The message is that we don't go overseas 
to become missionaries. We are missionaries. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a missionary wherever you are. Too late. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess what? You're a missionary. That's right. And the etymology of the word missionary is simply, it's one who is sent on mission. We are sent ones by Jesus Christ. And Alan Hirsch says this, he says, listen, if the Church of Jesus Christ has any need in the 21st century, in this postmodern and post-Christian world that we live in, is that the church needs to rediscover its identity as a sent people. We need to understand that we are sent people. And so, in order to understand what it looks like to be a sent person, in order what it looks like to be called by God, we're going to look at uh, the, the calling of one man to be uh, God's missionary. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, you will find that on page 487, if you have one of the brown Bibles in front of you. Otherwise, uh, we will also put it up there on the screen for people to read. Now, to give you um, a little bit of background on I- Isaiah, he is a prophet or a spokesperson from God. God is inviting him and calling him to speak on his behalf to the people of Israel. This is, these are dark days in the nation of Israel. There's actually been civil war. There's a north, northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The, they have separate kings. Uh, the northern kingdom really doesn't do really well. It's defined by all sorts of idolatry, rebelliousness, uh, immorality, uh, just all of that evil, evil stuff. And they're about to be taken over by the Assyrians because of their rebellion against the living God. And the southern kingdoms aren't faring much better. They're doing a little bit better, but not much. And there's, again, there's all sorts of wickedness. There's all sorts of evil. There's all sorts of idolatry that, that Isaiah is just surrounded by. And it's in the midst of this milieu of all of this wickedness and all of this evil and all of this idolatry that God calls Isaiah to be his missionary. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 8 of Isaiah chapter 6 together. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which she had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. So I just want to take some, uh, some moments this morning and just kind of dissect this passage and kind of walk through some, some of the steps that Isaiah had to go to in order to get to the place where he was sent by God, where he was a missionary by God. He starts off with this vision of the exalted God. And the, the one thing I want us to notice is that 
all missionary activity begins with the worship of God. He has this incredible vision of the living God, and it's, it's glorious, and it's majestic, and it's scary, and it's awesome, and it's wonderful. And there are these creatures, these seraphs, they're not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures, but they're flying around, and they, they're covering their faces and their feet with their wings. It's highly symbolic, and they are, it's not important really what they're doing, but it's really important what they're saying. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they say it three times. There's no other adjective to describe God that is repeated three times like this. You don't see that God is love, 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 or God is just, 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 R.C. Sproul points out. But you do see that he is holy, holy, holy. Now, holy is not a word that we use too much (laughs) these days, unless you're like, holy cow, or, you know, something like, what is the Batman, you know, it's like something... I forget, I can't, yeah, holy moly, something like that. But the word holy is a Hebrew word, and it means to cut, actually. To cut. To cut apart, to set apart, means to be completely separate, completely other. God is completely separate and other than anything that we can imagine or that we are. And specifically, God is separated and holy from our sin. He is completely other. He is in a category all by himself. He is, in, he is in infinitely pure in his holiness. And because of his holiness, no sin can exist in his presence. He will burn it up with his holiness. <laughs> Do you remember in Exodus chapter 33? When Moses was going through the desert with the, with the nation of Israel, and Moses says to God, he says, he says, God, he says, we want your presence to go with us. And God says, okay, you got it. My presence will go with you. And then he, Moses gets a little bit bolder, and he says, he says, he says now I want to see you, God, in all of your glory. I want to see what really makes you God, God. Would you show me yourself in all of your glory? I want to see you. And God says, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because I'll erase you. No one can see me and live, he says. And so Isaiah has this vision of the exalted Lord, and he has the only response that's appropriate. He says, whoa! As in, like, not like, whoa, but woe is me! Like, I am in trouble. I am in trouble because I am a person of unclean lips. And it's in the backdrop of God's holiness and his separateness and his purity that Isaiah intuitively recognized how dirty and sinful and broken he is. And he has the only appropriate response when he recognizes, when you recognize your own sinfulness like that. You repent. You begin to see yourself in light of God's holiness and purity, which is no great shakes. And you, you, and you repent. And this is, this is the, the response that we see of people when they, are, when they have a vision of God throughout the scriptures. Job, in Job chapter 42, he has this vision of God. God is blowing his mind with all these, with all these scenes and all these questions. And finally, Job has enough. And he says, I, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I can't take it anymore. Peter, 
When Peter finally finds out who Jesus really is in, in Luke chapter 6, he has this miraculous catch of fish. And, and Jesus tells him, hey, try the other side of the boat. And they have this miraculous catch, catch of fish. And Peter realizes, the guy that I'm playing with is no ordinary guy. And what does he do as soon as he gets up on shore? Is he falls down on his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a Sinful man. Sinful man. It's the only appropriate response. Now, God's going to take care of Isaiah's sin in just a moment. But Isaiah's still, still there. He's, he's stuck there in recognizing his own sinfulness. And then he looks around. Then he looks around and he says, Oh, not, not only am I a person of unclean lips, but I live amongst a whole people of unclean lips. The whole society that I live in is Completely broken. It's unequivocally, irreparably, systemically broken. And if you don't agree with Isaiah's assessment, just turn on the nightly news. Our world is broken. Completely broken. You don't even have to go that far. You know, you just take a look at our high schools. Have you been to high school lately? It's a scary place. (laughs) There's broken people there. My kids tell me that they have people in their classroom that dress up with ears on there and tails on, and they call themselves the furries. They act and pretend like they're animals. That's brokenness, folks. That's brokenness. The cutting that is going on in our, in our high schools and amongst our high school kids because of the emotional trauma and pain that are in is, is a reflection of the, the brokenness of our society. Things haven't changed since Isaiah's time. We live amongst a people that are broken. Now, that's, you, you start off, if you want to be a missionary, you start off worshiping the exalted God. You then be, get a, a, a good picture of yourself, that you're sinful, broken, in need of redemption. And, you, and then you begin to see that you live amongst a whole broken people. Now God deals with uh, with Isaiah's sin. One of the seraphs flies to the altar, grabs uh, burning coal and touches Isaiah's lips. And he says, listen, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And the best that I can understand is that coal is a picture of the risen Christ. Okay? Because he's the only one that can ever take away our sin. And so in, in, in God's mercy, he takes away Isaiah's sin there. And, and that's a reflection of Jesus. In, in 1 John chapter 1, Verse 7, John tells us this. He says that if we are in the light, there you go, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, okay, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin or purifies us from every sin. The writer to the book of Hebrews says it this way. He says, listen, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? The blood of Jesus. See, the only way that we can go before the presence of the living God is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and allows us to confidently enter the presence of God. He takes us from being his enemies to being his adopted sons and daughters, his beloved daughters, who says, come to me. You can come to me whenever you want. And it's once Isaiah's sin has been atoned for that he begins to listen. He begins to listen. 
And he begins to overhear God have a conversation with himself. He kind of just, kind of just eavesdrops on, on God and God's thoughts and God's musings. And he hears God saying out loud to himself, Whom shall I send? And who will, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And, and God is essentially, he looks out over the brokenness of this entire world and the society that, we're, that we live in. And he's asking himself the question, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And let me tell you, folks, don't think to yourself for a minute that God hasn't stopped asking that question. You don't think God doesn't look at the brokenness in our society and ask that question? Whom shall I send? Who's, who's going to go and address the child abuse in our world? Who's going to go and, and address the drug abuse and, and, and the alcoholism in our society? Who's going to go and address the fatherlessness in, uh, in the world today? You don't think God, God hasn't stopped asking that question? He's still asking and looking all throughout the world. Is there anyone? Is there anyone at all? Whom I can send. Second Chronicles 16 says this. It says that, that, that the eyes of the Lord look, look all throughout the earth. Looking for anyone whose hearts are fully committed to him. And when he finds that man, when he finds that woman, he comes alongside of them and he strengthens them. He strengthens them. If there's anyone who's willing to stand up and say, here I am. Send me. He comes alongside of them and he strengthens them. Which is exactly the last thing that Isaiah does. Hearing the thoughts of God, hearing the musings of God, hearing the heart of God break for the condition of the world that he is a part of and he is in. He basically submits himself to God and says, Here I am. If you can use me with all of my insecurities and all of my inadequacy, I'm willing. I'm willing to go. And God is still looking for people to send, for missionaries, people to be his sent ones into the brokenness of the world. The only question is, is, is he, is he going to find anybody? Is he going to find, as he looks out over his church, people called by his name, is he going to find anyone who's willing to raise their hand and say, here I am. I'm not much. I only graduated high school. But send me. And when he finds that person, he comes alongside of them. And he strengthens them. There's this old saying that they used to say when we were preparing to go uh, to Russia is that, that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He equips the called. And you're all called. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been called. And when you say, raise your hand and say, here I am, God, send me. He will equip you. And then I'll send you, which is what a missionary is, a sent one. So what I want to do to kind of help us get a picture of this, what this might look like uh, in our world today, this kind of etherical, esoterical, and we have this, this, this extreme vision that Isaiah's in right here, is, is to kind of bring it down to brass tacks. What does this look like in our own world? So to help us do this, I want to bring up two, two of my friends uh, here, Roger and Mark Enters. 
I can, I can say you guys are my friends, right? No? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Roger, Roger is part of our, our Jackson site. And, um, and he and his wife have been attending there for a little over a year. Mark and I just got back from uh, Mount Elbrus. Mark was with me on top of Mount Elbrus in the North Caucasus region of uh, Russia there. And yes, yes, we were some of them that, that summited. So um, I want to, you know, you guys, both of you, as I've gotten to know you, I've been struck by something. You're from the same family. You were both what we typically refer to when we use the word missionary. You were, you were sent overseas to live internationally. You know, Roger, you were in Guinea, West Africa for about 12 years. Mark, here, there you are with your family, circa 1995 or something like that, you know, <laughs> in Siberia. They're in Russia. You lived there for about 10 years. And then there's another one of you guys in the next slide who you're, you have a brother who lived in Thailand. As, as an overseas, you know, cross-cultural worker for Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I think about three brothers coming from one family. You must have grown up in some super spiritually soaked Jesus family to send you out. To have three, three brothers in the same family go out uh, as overseas workers. No, no, absolutely not. That's exactly opposite of how we grew up. My, my folks are both alcoholic. Um, my brothers and I, I've got seven, there were seven boys and two girls in our family. Um, we all used drugs. I mean, by the time I was 12, I was smoking weed. When I was eight years old, I remember my sister asked me to, to, to stand next to the front stoop as these cops were coming in our doors again and, and, uh, and leaving. I don't remember why, busting my brother maybe. But uh, years later, I found out I was seven years old, and uh, she had had me stand there to hide the pot plant that she had planted in our flower pot so the cops wouldn't see So the sisters were in on it too. It wasn't yeah, just the brothers. Was, no, it was everybody. And your your uh, neighbor had an had a interesting terminology. For yeah, you, we uh, were the family that the, um, um, other families didn't want their kids to go to. And our, our very next door neighbor, he once called us the, the hellhole for potheads. That was our house, the hellhole for potheads. Okay, okay. so <laughs> don't bad. play with the Enter Brothers, okay? <laughs> wow. So what happened? What happened that, that caused this dramatic turnaround where you have three of the brothers living overseas deciding to go overseas? Well, it was about that time my dad had bottomed out. My parents had bottomed out. You know, the, the very worst of their alcoholism. They are passed out every single night. That's kind of the, the memory I had growing up. Um, this guy, his name is Pat Walsh. He entered into um, my dad's life originally uh, at first. There's a picture of Pat and his wife, Annie. Yeah. Um, he just decided to get involved in my, my dad's life and share the gospel with them. They're at they, the YMCA. They met at the YMCA. Yeah, yeah. right. And it's kind of turned into a weekly, nightly uh, Bible study uh, where my parents heard the gospel. And they were changed. Their lives were changed. Mm-hmm. They submitted to the, the lordship of, of Jesus and then it had a domino effect. My, my older siblings, they came to this Bible study, heard about this life-changing Of course, yeah. Person. You guys are all watching your parents change before your very eyes yeah. or stop drinking. Yeah, and yeah. It, so it, it really let, you know, it, it uh, lent some validity to the message. Like, something radical just happened to my parents. Yeah. And so, let's find out what this is. And, it, and so my older siblings uh, got saved and, uh-huh. you know... Most of us are Christians now, walking with the Lord, and it's just... That's so yeah. cool, so cool. Yeah. So, 
this, this Pat Walsh guy, this character, uh, he, he, he must have been like on a church staff or something like that. Or he uh, must have gone to seminary or something like that. No, he was just uh, working at Peterbilt full time and he uh, just recently got saved and he knew the gospel message and he knew he had to tell others about who Christ was. Uh, so let me just, you can work at Peterbilt and be a missionary. Okay? That means you can work anywhere and be a missionary. And Pat did. He was an excellent example for our family. Wow. Wow. So, so you guys have both lived overseas now. You, 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 you came back to America within the last, you know, 10 years or so. Um, when you came back, you, you leave all that missionary stuff behind you. You're like, okay, I'm no longer living overseas. We're back here. We get, we get to live a normal life now. Oh, no, absolutely not. You know, it's just like you always say, it's not where you live. It's not your address that makes you a missionary. It's... It's your it's your your outlook of life. It's how you approach life. It's you know. So um, for me, for example, what that is is um, I'm getting involved in the missional community. Am I getting ahead? Yes. Yeah. No, no. For Hartford. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in in Hartford. Um, so yeah, we're we are we're 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 attempting to see the gospel reached. Uh, the mm. gospel go out to the city of Hartford mm. and um, and reach there. So I'm living in Hartford and I'm getting involved in the missional community that uh, that Kettlebrook is getting involved in. And we really we we need people. We need you guys to get involved in this with us. It's a yeah. it's 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 a church. You know, it's a it's a Kettlebrook thing that we're involved in. So we need all of you to be. Um, be involved in this. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah. you went from Guinea, West Africa, yeah. to something very similar, Hartford, Wisconsin, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. But you're yeah. still a missionary right. wherever you are. So, yeah. and and Mark, you went from uh, you know Siberia, and now where are you at? Yeah, I came back from Siberia and uh, got my teaching certificate, and now I work for Milwaukee Public Schools, and it's a great missions field. Um, I work in a school where probably 30 to 40 percent of the teachers are born-again Christians because I think it's because they see a purpose being there, hmm. as I do. Wow. And uh, so it's, it's really fun because there's other Christians there and we get to talk about our experiences. Um, and I'll just share a story. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was in front of my classroom with 30 kids. I, was, I typically play some Christian music in the background if we're working. And then... Uh, for some reason, that day I busted out into song, and one of the thugs who kind of likes me, he was sitting in the front row, he asked me, what is that? And I said, it's church music. And then he said, well, are you a Christian? And I said, yep, I'm born again. And so I was able to, to witness to him, give him, give him my testimony, give him my, um, the gospel that you know, we're sinners, we can't pay for our own sin, Christ paid it for us, and if we just believe that, the Bible calls us believers. The Bible calls us Christians. Mm-hmm. And after a, a little more conversation, I asked him, well, do you understand that? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, well, do you believe it? And he said, of course I believe it. Why wouldn't I? Everybody believe that. And uh, so we got talking a little bit more. And then I said, well, you know, now that you're a believer, you might want to thank the Lord for your salvation. And, and uh, this guy sitting in the front row in front of 30 kids, um, he just open-eyed looking at me. He said, Jesus, you might, and then he said the N-word, <laughs> and, uh, which, which means, is a good thing. Yeah, which means I got your back. I love you. You love me. We're in on this together. And, <laughs> and so it was just a totally appropriate cultural response to being saved. Wow. So cool. Well, thanks, you guys, for helping us understand.
said, if anything, if you got anything from this, the little interview up here is that being a missionary, being a sent one of Jesus Christ has absolutely nothing to do with geography. It has everything to do with raising your hand when you hear God pouring over the brokenness of our world and say, whom shall I send? Who will go for it and say, here I am. Send me. Thanks, you guys, so much. Now, the thing that will blow your mind in in all of this is that um, John, the disciple of Jesus, he actually talks about this whole event that Isaiah had. You know, the, the, the vision that, that Isaiah had where he was before the temple and there's seraphs and they're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's smoke and there's all sorts of, of, of stuff going on. And, and John, in, in his biography on Jesus, writes this in John chapter... Oh, we got it fixed. Great. John chapter 12, 41. It says, Isaiah said this because he saw... Whose glory? Jesus' glory. And spoke about him. It begins with understanding that Jesus is on the throne. And he reigns. And he's looking out. And he's still asking the question. Whom shall I send? If you want any other scriptural proof that Jesus is God Almighty himself. You can look no further than John chapter 12. He's referring back to Isaiah's vision of the risen and exalted Lord. Okay, and he's saying that's Jesus. And it's this risen and exalted Christ who, after he rises from the dead, gathers all of his disciples together. And he says, listen, as the Father has sent me, so I send you to be my missionaries. You're sent ones. We're sent ones on Jesus' behalf to be his representatives to the world. The only question is... Are we going to be the people who are so busy, caught up in our stuff and our entertainment and our distractions and, you know, playing golf and going skiing and, and doing all that stuff? No, that's bad. But if you never get around to hearing God look over the brokenness of our world and say, whom shall I send? Is there anyone who's willing to go? And if you hear God say that, You might want to take a breath and say, here I am. And all of my insecurities, all of my inadequacy, and God will say, you're just the person I was looking for. What would it look like if we as a church collectively raised our hands, told told Jesus, our yes is on the table. Now what is it that you want us to do? Where is it that you want us to go? It may be to the hellhole for potheads across the street. You never know. It may be to the YMCA. It may be, now don't get discouraged, it may be you go to work the next day. And there you be as missionaries, his representatives, his sent ones. I don't know what it would look like if, if we all collectively, as, as a community, said yes to Jesus Christ. All I know is look out. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that each person here would be able to go uh, from this place 
Spend some time alone with you. See that you are on the throne, risen from the grave, holy and exalted. We might see ourselves for who we are in light of your holiness and your purity. That we might be reminded of the fact that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have had our sins atoned for and our guilt removed. So we can come before you boldly before the throne. And may we be like Isaiah and hear your thoughts and hear your musings and hear your wonderings. Is there anyone that we can send? And may we be a a people who raise our hands individually and collectively and say, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Oh God, would you please send us? Would you be pleased to use us for your name? in your glory in our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.